Hello everyone and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Um, so what we're going to do today guys, I'm going to continue my, uh, my top 10 lists of Stephen King things, the top 10 Stephen King things. Today what I'm going to be doing is Stephen King's top 10 short story. And I guess before we go any further in the podcast, um, I, there's just one thing that I would like to announce and shamelessly plug. Uh, I, I kind of struggled with this, which is stupid of me. I really, I really shouldn't. But I, the, the the whole one of the, the the whole mission statements for me of the the Stephen King cast was I, I try and keep myself out of it as much as possible. Um, you know, I try and keep things objective, and it's why, you know, I, I've never given my name, anything like that, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, I mean, the fact of the matter is, I mean, if I do have the means to, to help promote something that I'm doing, hey, why not take it, right? And I think that we've spent enough time together that I, I feel as though you, you might be interested in what I'm about to, to, to say to all of you. Well, the fact of the matter is, uh, I have been fortunate enough to have uh, some stories published in a series of, of magazines and anthologies out there, and I, I think that this is as good a time as any to, to you know, to to lead you in the right direction. If you were so interested in reading what what I uh, what, what I've cooked up um, from my my own mind, so. Right now, if you were like, oh my God, Stephen King cast, that is great. I would love to go out and read what you have written. Then you have some options. You can head on over to, to Amazon right now. And if you were to uh, type in Dark Moon Digest, issue number 22, uh, you'll, you'll be able to procure um, the, this particular magazine that includes one of my short stories. So that's Dark Moon Digest number 22, edited by uh, Lori Michelle and Max Booth III. So this, I mean, you can download it on your Kindle or you can read it the old-fashioned way and have them send um, a magazine to you. Also, you can read one of my stories in Nine Tales Told in the Dark, issue number nine. Uh, and this is published by Bride of Chaos and available through Amazon. Um, it is uh, an ebook only, so that's one way of, of getting it. And in the next couple weeks, uh, you can order up Wax and Wayne, A Gathering of Tales. Um, and that is from Nose Touch Press, edited by David T. Neal, and that is available on March 2nd. So I believe that that is a, a uh, you can get that through Kindle, um, but also you can um, order it, like I said, uh, the old-fashioned way. And this August, uh, you can order a copy of Trists of Fate, edited by Leanne Story, um, which will include one of my uh, one of my short stories. So I... Uh, you know, I, I love spending time with you guys, and if, if you and you've had nothing but complimentary things to say about my my thoughts on the horror genre, so if you wanted to to see what I what I have to contribute to the horror genre itself, then then uh, then there are some there's some published works out there floating around, and um, I would love for you to to head on over to to those those places and and those magazines and those publications and show some support. Um, that would be fantastic. Okay, guys, so what we've got now, uh, the time has come to listen to some listener emails. Uh, the first of which is from Kelly, who writes, Hi, 
I've recently discovered your podcast and I'm hooked, slowly working my way through from the beginning. I just listened to your review of Pet Cemetery, Loved It, which sparked an idea about Oz the Great and Tailable. You say in the podcast that he is a god of evil and makes links between Pet Cemetery and the Dark Tower. Is Oz and Pet Cemetery a manifestation of the Crimson King? Seeing as how we run into him in the Emerald City after traveling through a thinny to get there, as Lewis Creed had to get to in the burial ground. Just food for thought. Give up the podcaster, awesome Kelly. Kelly, that's a great observation. However, it's one that I, I just don't think is the case. I don't think that um, uh, Oz, the Gwait and Tewable, is, um, is the Crimson King, simply because I don't think that the Crimson King would go out of his way to simply kill uh, Gage Creed. In the grand scheme of things, I don't think that Gage Creed really matters to to um, to the Crimson King. So I, I just don't, I think that what Stephen King was doing with his personification of death by by giving the, that that concept a little bit of a, a personality and turning him into a concept that we could understand is more of a technique than actual characterization. Uh, so I just I simply don't think that. They, the the two are, are related but but thanks again for for writing in and if anyone disagrees feel free to write in Stephen Kingcast at yahoo.com and we have another um, another listener email from constant listener who writes I recently delved into the world of podcasts naturally the first subject I searched for was my favorite author mr. Stephen King notice I didn't say horror or any other genre Steve's the man and say thank you sigh I subscribed to your podcast and instantly I was hooked. Much like I was a constant reader to Cy King, I became a constant listener to you. It pleased me to know and the commitment you put into these podcasts. I found myself nodding when listening to your analysis and every so often going, huh, hadn't thought about it that way before. I've journeyed with you silently through many worlds of Stephen King and through every wheel and mile of the journey to the tower. Before I press play on the second episode of your DT analysis, I had to wonder what's next once you've reached the end of his publications list. I know it's not now, but it is. But in a while, your journey will too end when you've caught Psy King empty-handed with nothing new to offer his constant readers until his next release. Will you then wait and release reviews as Mr. King does? Will you move on to a different podcast interspersed with King reviews? The reason I ask is you become a constant companion on my drive into work and back home again. I've greatly enjoyed exploring the King universe with you. I hate moving on to a new podcast that might not offer a similar quality of analysis when exploring similar authors and their works. The only two criticisms I have is that often the intro exit music is a tad too loud and drowns out your voice, and that whenever you're recording, there's a refrigerator or AC that seems to kick on from time to time, causing a hum in the audio. Um, and I'm cracking up because right now I have my washer and dryer going, uh, so I'm sure that that's being picked up in the background. Uh, the first time I heard, I thought I had a problem with my car and almost panicked. Uh, going 80 down an interstate is never the place you want to hear strange noises from your car. Uh, so I really apologize for the, the, the background noises, guys. Um, it's one of the drawbacks of working out of the home and not a studio. There's some things that I, I really can't control. Um, so I, I do apologize. I mean, I know that I've listened to podcasts where something very similar has happened. I've been in my car and I've heard background music. Uh, um, or, or even, you know, like an alarm going off in the background of a podcast. And I, th all of a sudden I think that either it's my alarm, there's a cop behind me, something. So I, I completely understand and I apologize. I try to minimize as much as I can. Um, but I do apologize. 
Uh, I value your insights to the King universe and thank you for not only for the time and energy, but the care you put into developing a quality podcast about an author we will all cherish to our bones. Thanks for making my world a little scarier and a heck of a lot cooler, your constant listeners. So thank you for writing in. Um, I will... I'm still debating what uh, what the next step of the podcast is. Right now, it is top ten lists. I will have in the next few weeks. Uh, there will be an official announcement about about the, the Stephen King cast, whatever that that may be. Um, so, I mean, I I I just kind of want to summarize everything that it has been, um, and in that summary, we'll. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but in the meantime, we have some top 10 lists uh, to get through. But I, I still have a, a couple other um, listener emails that I want to read. Um, and so let's see. The next one is from Jennifer. And Jennifer writes, uh, First, let me thank you again for these podcasts. Listening to them has become my favorite thing to do on the weekends. I started from the beginning and knew that I would be writing to you about Pet Cemetery, but I wanted to wait till I got to the review to hear your thoughts. I have to comment because while it's not my favorite, probably fourth behind The Stand, Misery, and The Shining, it's the one that I've had the strongest connection with. I think I read Pet Cemetery for the first time in 7th or 8th grade and have since reread so many times that I've lost count. When I was younger, I read Stephen King for the scares, and this one definitely delivered. I slept with my light on my actual bedside lamp, not just a nightlight, throughout high school, and though I'm sure there were other reasons, the clearest I remember being scared of was church jumping on my bed. I was diagnosed with scoliosis when I was 16 and found out that I would need a spinal fusion. Everything turned out fine, but I immediately thought of Zelda and that I would die in the back room. Eventually, the book became a comfort to me because I knew the story and the characters so well. It was the book I always found myself coming back to when I couldn't get into anything else. I loved it for how scary it was, for how dark it was, for Judd and Pascal. I loved everything about it. I'm a nice, happy person, but I have a dark streak, and this spoke, and this book spoke directly to it. I also loved the description inside of a marriage, something I was totally unfamiliar with. Every time I see a loofah glove, I think about the scene where Rachel draws Louis a bath. Anyway, I loved the book. I had, then I had children, and everything changed. I can't remember if it's on writing or Dance Macabre, where Stephen King writes about how his goal is to always horrify. If he can't horrify, he'll try to terrify. If he can't do that, he'll go for the gross out. I'm probably messing that up, but you know what I mean. Um, I don't, I don't know, and I would have to check, but I, I would think that it's terrify, horrify, then gross out. I could be wrong. I always knew this book was scary. I think I permanently turned someone away from Stephen King by recommending that this be the first book that he or she try. But until I had children, I didn't truly understand how horrifying Pet Cemetery really is. I started reading SK stuff chronologically a couple years ago and was dreading Cujo, but especially Pet Cemetery. I knew the story so well. I knew that Gage wouldn't die at the end, leaving me with only I knew leaving me with only a few more pages to get through. I knew that at least half the book would deal with the grieving for the loss of a toddler. I just didn't think I could do it, and I was right. I got to Pet Cemetery when my daughter had just turned two and was about to give birth to my son. I started reading and immediately got sucked right back in. I made all the way to the part where Gage was chasing the kite and then I had to stop. I couldn't keep reading. I couldn't go through all of the pain I knew the characters were about to experience knowing the size of the loss. 
Before, Gage was just a character, but now I see my daughter's hair trailing behind her as she runs into the road in front of our house. I see my fingers trying to grab her and just missing. <laughs> this morning, I was dropping my kids off at daycare when my son, now 14 months old and so much like Gage, wandered away from me and into the parking lot. There were no cars around and everything was fine, but it scared the bejesus out of me and I cried three different times while listening to this podcast and another time listening to the movie review. The loss of Gage is so powerful because SK spends so much time making the family real. We see the parents fight. We see the tender moments as well as the stressful ones. We start to see our own families and then we are shattered right along with the creeds. I remember reading that a similar incident happened to SK and one of his kids. His son wandered into the road and came close to being hit by a car. I could be making that up, and I can't remember where the anecdote came from. I also know that SK originally put Pet Cemetery away, thinking that he had finally gone too far. If that story is true, this book is his way of exercising his fears about what could have happened if his son had actually been hit. I think once you have kids, you live with the constant fear that they will be taken away from you. The death of my child is literally my worst nightmare. I've often thought about what I would do if it happened, that dark streak again, and I think that my mind would just snap. I can completely understand why Lewis does what he does. I wouldn't want to go on living anyway, so why not take the crazy chance that I could take it all back? If the worst thing I can possibly imagine has already happened, what do I have to lose? And the rest of my family, of course. But wouldn't they feel just as badly as I do? Wouldn't they want to go down swinging with me? I'm sure I'll read it all the way through again. There's bound to be an audio version released. I also heard rumor about the movie being remade with George Clooney, a casting choice that blew my mind with its awesomeness that I'm sure will never actually happen. Maybe when my kids are a little older, but I just can't do it right now. Thanks again. Keep up the awesome work, Jennifer. P.S. I loved your review of Christine. It's one of my favorites. Maybe a few slots down from Pet Cemetery, and another that I have read or listened to many times. I think that often gets dismissed as just the book about the haunted car, but it's so much more than that. Kudos to you for really diving into the characters and the heart of what the book is really about. You also inspired me to revisit the movie. I don't remember liking it very much the first time, and I'm watching it as I type this. I'm really digging it for what it actually is, campiness and all. So thank you, Jennifer, for that profound insight about how Stephen King definitely speaks to all of us um, and, and how he captures those, those moments of truth, um, in this case, uh, the, the truth of, of family life and, and the horrifying nature of, of losing a, a loved one, losing a child, um, and, and the follow-up process of, of what that would entail if we lived in a Stephen King world. Um, okay, guys, if you haven't done so already, feel free to write in at stephenkingcast at yahoo.com. Uh, and if you haven't done... The following as well, please do so. Head on over to iTunes and write a review uh, and subscribe because that would really help the, get the podcast out there. Now, with all of that said, I'm going to get into uh, the top 10 Stephen King short stories of all time. And I expect to get a lot of feedback from this one, guys, because think about all of the short stories that Stephen King has written in his lifetime. Um, and for me to whittle it down to 10... I'm not going to be going into in-depth analyses of all of these, uh, so my criteria is very subjective on this one. Uh, and so when it comes to short stories, I, I think that if I were to ask you to assemble your list of short stories, your, your top 10 list, it's not going to look anything like mine. But here's what I consider Stephen King's top 10 short stories, the first of which is one of his newest found most recently in the Bazaar of Bad Dreams and is an outlier on this list as it is 
an example of not being horrific, but being actually very funny and legitimately funny. You know, in my podcast reviews, I have criticized King for his sense of humor and his use of uh, comedic bits in his works, which usually results with someone telling an unfunny joke or doing something that just really isn't that funny and having other characters laugh until they cry, guffaw, throw their head back and laugh. Um, fall over laughing, just really large, broad, vaudevillian uh, comedic reactions to to just not funny things. So, But that isn't to mean that he can't do humor, because he can, as evidenced here with Drunken Fireworks, the short story found within The Bazaar of Bad Dreams. The idea that a... Uh, a bunch of main locals, or not a bunch, but just uh, two main locals on one side of the lake getting into an arms race of fireworks with the their rich summer neighbors across the, the other side of the lake every 4th of July is, it's such a fun concept, and King follows it through um, wonderfully with every year passing, uh, just upping the stakes just a little bit more to its very, very comedic over the top, but natural progression to the, the, the what had come before, and uh, not only does it does it go to some very funny places, but it also revisits some long-time standing Stephen King characters as it takes place in Castle Rock, and it was one that I just, I really enjoyed reading. Uh, there are some dark stories in Drunken, uh, in The Bazaar of Bad Dreams, there are some good spooky stories in The Bazaar of Bad Dreams, and with Drunken Fireworks, I would say uh, it, it's also one of the greatest stories that he's ever written. So if you haven't picked up Bazaar of Bad Dreams yet, or you kind of tuned out Drunken Fireworks because it wasn't one of his horror stories, go back and give it a shot, because... It is fun. His characterization is still on point. Uh, it's just that he's not providing the characterization to, to make us jump. Uh, he's providing the characterization to, to make us laugh along with, with the characters um, because we're supposed to have a smile on our face with the ridiculousness of the situation that they've placed themselves in. So number nine uh, comes from a Everything's Eventual short story. And this one, when it when it came out, when it was uh, originally released in in whatever magazine, I can't remember Cavalier magazine. I'm not quite sure, but it uh, it it generated a lot of buzz. I know that it won an award. It it is a short short story uh, that is very very simply told. It's a simple short story. There's not a lot to it. It's simply a strong exercise in setting, in mood, in tone, and conflict, and it tells you all you need to know with the title itself, The Man in the Black Suit. Basically what this is, is this is the distillation of Stephen King into five, six, seven pages. However, I don't remember off the top of my head how many pages it is, but it's simply your classic Stephen King villain, this monster out of place. And he's done that time and time again. He's given us a magician in the Old West with the man in black fleeing, fleeing across the desert and, and the gunslinger following him. We have seen a clown in all of the places that a clown should not be, in a sewer drain, in attractive woods in the middle of, of, a, of a city. Um, you know, he, he's very good at that. And what he gives us here is um, on the banks of a stream, we see a man in a black suit. 
and he should not be there, and he's horrifying. He has hellfire dancing behind his eyes. Uh, this is a child's nightmare. So think about when you were a kid. Think about the vulnerability of being a kid. Uh, he, he takes all of the those sensibilities and feelings that made it what it is and boil it down to a very, very short story and recreate that sensation once again uh, to create a very, very effective tale of one young boy going up against and just trying to outwit and escape from a deadly monstrous creature um, in in the in the shape of a man. It's as simple as that and it's done very very well. The next one comes from the Nightmares and Dreamscapes collection and I'm actually surprised at myself for putting it as low on the list as it is. This is one that has always stuck with me. It's one that is more of a fantastical concept. It's very, very weird, very, very strange, and it plays upon one of the, the Stephen Kingisms of argumentative couples uh, getting lost while on the road, and the, the place where this particular couple gets lost is, is a hellish existence all the more hellish for its pop culture iconography and for the, the, the surface level serenity that that seems to have. But it really is only surface level because once you look a little bit below, you see how horrific it truly is. So we've all wondered what, what heaven would be like now that it's populated with all of these rock and roll stars that have died too early throughout the years. But now we know that it isn't heaven where they've wound up. It is a little place. Um, it is hell, a little place in the in the United States of America, or maybe just outside of the United States of America, where one wrong turn can take you there. And once you're there, um, you better strap in, and you'd best like rock and roll because, as you know, you know they've got a hell of a band. This particular short story is just so fundamentally wrong and king does such a great job at increasing the level of dread as it goes along and for a novel for a short story rather that involves janice joplin and sam cook and elvis presley and all of these jim morrison all these famous dead rockers you'd think that it could just be absurd and there is an absurdity to it, but never at the expense of a surreal, I, I've used this term before, Lynchian, David Lynchian um, dreaminess. But of course, it's not, a, it's not a pleasant dream, it's a nightmare. It's, it's awful, and you're trapped, and you're trapped along with the characters, and the fact that there's no escape, you're never going to get out of there, and you're just going to have to endure this where these creatures that have taken the guises of these these rock and roll legends force you to endure an eternity of just listening to them playing rock and roll and that's all that you're ever going to get is i know that me describing it doesn't really create the sense of of wrongness or or horror to it but it truly is a horrifying piece and i love it the next story comes from the same collection, um, Nightmares and Dreamscapes, and this is one of the, the longer short stories in that collection, and it involves a character that had popped up in a Stephen King novel uh, years before. The first time that we had seen this character was in the, the, the well-known novel The Dead Zone, 
Uh, and at the time that the Dead Zone was written, um, there was a little thing called tabloids that populated uh, supermarkets and and other grocery stores. And you know, when you would check out, they'd be there, and they're still there. But I would say that sites like BuzzFeed and um, uh, and 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 other sites they they tend to to dwell in in the gossip um, more so and more ubiquitously than than what tabloids used to be. But in the world of Stephen King, there is a tabloid and it is called Inside View. And the most famous reporter of Inside View is a squalid little man named Richard Dees who popped up first in the dead zone to investigate the psychic phenomena surrounding Giant Smith and came back once again for the last time, unfortunately, in a little short story called The Night Flyer, in which he investigates a series of vampiric murders all around Maine. And it is such a good story. And if you haven't read my review or if you haven't listened to my review of The Night Flyer in Nightmares and Dreamscapes, I posited a, a scenario in which Stephen King took Richard Dees and turned him into an ongoing character in a series of short stories or novels in which he investigated supernatural phenomenon for the purposes of reporting it in this squalid little tabloid, and I think that is a huge missed opportunity on his part. But The Night Flyer, it, it does such a great job at getting us into the head of this particular awful character and it, it gives us some very striking imagery. All in all, it is a, it's a wonderfully told short story that was the inspiration for a, a very effective um, uh, Stephen King adaptation that doesn't get a lot of love, but is, is actually pretty good, um, that, that has a lot of flair and technique and I'm very impressed with. Um, so for anyone that hasn't seen the, the Night Flyer movie, I would strongly suggest that you go out and, and, and check it out. So the Night Flyer is our number seven. Our number six is um, also from, not, not from Nightmares and Dreamscapes, but I, I included Drunken Fireworks, was from his uh, most recent short story collection, The Bazaar of Bad Dreams. And number six entry is also from the Bazaar of Bad Dreams, and this short story, I loved it. I loved reading it. It it just tickled that funny bone that Stephen King is, is able to do. Not that it's funny, but so much of Stephen King is in his strength of building his villains. And I believe one of the greatest villains that he has recently created is this particular, uh, is this particular character who also uh, functions as the title of the short story itself. A uh, story about the, the, the nightmare that comes when a character is haunted throughout his life by a bad little kid. The bad little kid, the character himself, this, this haunting little creature that looks like that looks like a little kid that is just this rapscallion scoundrel that goes around that's just a little bully um just plaguing this man's life for no reason whatsoever it's just chaos personified it's a lot of fun it's very very weird um but i just i fell in love with it it felt like vintage king to me it was a great what if story it has a twilight zone sensibility to it um it's just there's it is it is pretty much flawless uh it zips along very very quickly 
it it does very very well i i enjoyed it thoroughly and it's yet another reason guys to go out and check out um I, i'm sorry i just i was my my wife on facebook just posted uh just posted a, a post on Facebook that just reminds me why I love her as much as as I do. And she just wrote, everyone all excited for sports and junk. And I'm all over here like, it's X-Files Day. So that's um, the premiere of the X-Files is, is on tonight. So anyway, bad little kid, guys. It is great. So at number five, uh, the number five story can be found in, I believe it's 1984. Um, 1984's skeleton crew which has a couple the the next three or the next two after after this story so the the, the three that i'm going to talk about all come from skeleton crew which was a very no it was a6 wasn't it it was 1986 uh which is a very very strong um collection of short stories very very powerful uh and this one is one that just guys it just really stuck with me really really stuck with me the the idea of eternity is something that i have found myself coming back to for for my entire life thinking about it and the idea ooh, of getting stuck in eternity and knowing it's eternity the um and actually coming out of it the i the the, the contradiction there of being stuck in a place forever and then coming out the other side that horrifies me and these ideas are explored phenomenally in a little short story a little sci-fi horror tale called the jaunt and in the jaunt we have the story of a family about to take a jaunt a teleportation ride from point a to point b and it's as common as taking a bus or taking a plane but the only trick is you have to make sure that you are unconscious as you do it if not your mind will be awake and will experience the jaunt between point a and point b and at that time you are outside of time itself it's a horrifying concept for you to be conscious throughout eternity just kind of stuck there floating um with a great again twilight zone ending to it um it's one that is just it's one of the more lingering endings to a stephen king story one that has stuck with me for years um and it's that ending really that that just makes it makes it the stephen king classic that it is um and then up next i have this wrong on my list so i'm, I'm gonna switch this around up next probably shouldn't be on the list now that i actually say it um and i'm kind of i'm kind of i i don't want it to be on this list um but i'm gonna i'm gonna explain why i put it on the list um but it also comes from uh, Skeleton Crew, and it's the raft. I'm not going to really build it up. I just I just rewatched Creepshow re recently, and just the 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 date rapiness of it just really weirds me out. So the the the, the idea to include it on the list just it's just kind of gross. But the 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 threat and the conflict of the raft it's very very palpable. It is a great concept. I just don't understand the whole sexual component to it. But the idea of these these four dumb college kids being stuck on a raft off season while uh, this incandescent blob is 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 picking them off one by one it's it's told so well, um, but yeah again unfortunately it uh, it uh, it does suffer from Stephen King inserting a ill timed um, 
sex scene, which is made even creepier in the Creepshow adaptation, where it goes from consensual sex to um, just basically just molestation. Uh, but with that said, just the, 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 the threat and the conflict and seeing salvation on the other side of the lake, but you can't get there from your, your, your point. Um, it, it, it's creepy. It's very, very well done. Um, and it is our number four entry into the top 10 short stories. But even as I say, I don't agree. And I'm, I'm kind of stalling right now, trying to think off the top of my head if something else comes to mind that I should replace it with. And I know that I probably should replace it with something. Uh, but I can't, I can't think of anything off the top of my head right now. But please, that's why I need you guys to, to write in. But number three, number three um, definitely deserves to be number three. And it's kind of a cheat because it's not it's kind of in that in-between. What is it? Is it a short story or is it a novella? Is it a short story or is it a novella? Um, but for the purposes of this, I'm going to call it a short story because it was collected uh, in a collection of short stories, again, from Skeleton Crew. It has gone on to become one of the best Stephen King adaptations of all time. And it's a throwback to uh, 1950s monster movies. And it's just everything that Stephen King does so well it is the uh, it's the Stephen King uh, concept of just banding together in the in the, the threat of a crisis. It's Stephen King exploring uh, the religious phenomenon when it when it goes wrong. It is an end of the world scenario. Um, it is it's just everything that you like in a Stephen King story distilled to its its purest essence. Uh, and that is, of course, Skeleton Crew's The Mist. The Mist, guys, is just, it is awesome. It is an awesome horror story. King is able to really flex his horrific muscles. He's able to create a lot of sus um, suspen suspension, suspense. He's just able to create suspense. Sorry, I, I have a cold right now. He's able to create a lot of suspense. He's able to create a lot of terror. He's able to create a lot of horror. He gives you a lot of ghoulies uh, with, with their tentacles and just monsters from this alien world. He doesn't explain where they come from. He definitely insinuates where they come from, but we never get a full confirmation. Uh, and I just love the debate between the ending of the short story and the ending of the movie. I think both are valid. I do love the ending of the, the movie. I don't know why some people don't just because it's not the ending of the book. It's not a valid argument in my opinion. Um, but uh, the, the Mist is just a phenomenal exercise in short story writing and in giving us just a horrifying tale of what if. And the, the reason why this is definitely... Uh, in the top three is because it never it never makes you look at mist the same way again if you see mist coming at you and if you're a Stephen King fan you will never not think of the mist and I think that when Stephen King is able to to make you do that to make you just stop and think and look at something every day and think of it with that sinister edge then then uh, then it's the the sign of a good story um, and if that's the case, then this short story from Everything's Eventual will, will do the same. Something about staying in hotels, guys, um, that it, it's something that we've all experienced and we all know that there are haunted hotels. Stephen King has read a very famous story about a haunted hotel. Um, but what if there was a haunted room 
and it, it creates such a great what if. What if there's a haunted hotel room? And he gives us that in the short story 1408. If you haven't experienced 1408 and only know it from the John Cusack Samuel Jackson movie, then you're doing yourself a disservice. It's a really well done short story in which King creates uh, a surreal quality to it that he's never been able to to recreate in any in any of his other works to to this particular degree. It's so unsettling and off-putting. It's it's just it's so well done. I can't speak highly enough about 1408. It takes the Stephen King trope of the writer um, putting the writer in over his head. It's the non-believer crashing up against uh, the, the, the truth, the truth, going back to the X-Files, the truth is out there and the truth happens to lie within a little uh, room uh, with the numbers 1408, which of course adds up to 13, unlucky 13. And um, I, I strongly, strongly recommend um, everyone uh, going out and reading 1408, which leads us to our number one short story of all time and the short story that i'm talking about here comes from the early 2000s uh collection of short stories just after sunset so again when i was talking about the mist i i had referenced if stephen king is able to take something that we all know and make you think of it differently then it's then it's the 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 sign of a a good and effective short story um, and that is the case here. He again takes something that is every day, maybe not every day for all of us, but something that we can all certainly acknowledge as part of the life that we live and turns it on his head and gives it a haunting and horrifying backstory. And that's the concept of OCD when someone is just driven to compulsions. Stephen King really, he takes that and gives us a what if. What if some people that were afflicted with OCD um, had to go through these routines and these motions and had to catalog and had to, to, to go through their, their rituals to hold at bay a monstrosity that defies our comprehension, that we as humans can't truly understand the depths of horror that lurk just outside of this world and the, the little rituals that we give ourselves. It's enough magic of order to combat the chaos that exists in darkness beyond our world. And that is the short story known as N. And if guys, you have listened to my review of Just After Sunset, you know that I love this story. I think that it's so well done. It gets under your skin. It's so creepy. It's so unsettling. And yes, maybe a lot of it has to do with the fact that I first experienced N as that motion comic which I, 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 I want everyone to go out and experience now. It's only 30 minutes of your time, but you're, you're going to love it. It's going to get under your skin. It's going to be haunting. Um, it's going to it's just going to cement why Stephen King is Stephen King. It's a fantastic short story. It's a fantastic adaptation. Um, I cannot speak of N highly enough. So um, before I conclude, I'm just going to swap out the raft with... Um, I'm going to put Children of the Corn in its place uh, because, again, Children of the Corn, it's the the tale of the uh, the, the, the bickering couple on the road. 
uh, winding up uh, in in the wrong place. And you know, I never go, I never drive by corn without thinking of Children of the Corn. So again, it, it's just one of those things that just makes you think of. If Stephen King is able to make you think of something so everyday, um, and if, if he's able to give it a sinister edge, then he has done his job. And I think that that's definitely the case with Children of the Corn. So our top ten. Uh, Stephen King short stories. Number 10, Drunken Fireworks. Number 9, The Man in the Black Suit. Number 8, you know they've got a hell of a band. Number 7, Night Flyer. Number 6, The Bad Little Kid. Number 5, The Jaunt. Number 4, Children of the Corn. Number 3, The Mist. Number 2, 1408. And number 1 is the short story N, which everyone needs to go out and experience right now. Okay, everyone. Um... I hope that you had a good time with this particular episode. Uh, as I'm recording these, I have no way of knowing if the top 10 episodes are going over well, if people like them, dislike them. I'm, I'm not quite sure. I'm kind of flying blind on this one. But uh, let me know by writing into StephenKingCast at Yahoo.com. And may you have long days and pleasant nights. And I will see you here next episode where M-O-O-N spells Stephen KingCast. <laughs>